Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I am your host, Mary Ann Petrie. This episode of Slam the Gavel is sponsored by CPS Protect Consulting Services. A Child Protective Services case is one of the most frightening experiences for any parent. Don't face it alone. Face it with confidence with urgent assist by CPS Protect. You can have access to former CPS investigators to make sure you preserve your rights and protect your family. If you're facing CPS involvement and aren't sure where to turn, their child welfare consultants can help you. Visit cpsprotect.com forward slash subscribe and enter the coupon code. Slam the gavel for 60% off your first year of urgent assist, and this is available in all 50 states. I have another announcement. Bradley's mother, Narcus Golan, passed away in the fall of 2022. Bradley is autistic and needs structured routine and therapies he receives for his autism six days a week. However, Italy just entrusted Bradley to Italian social services. If he's ruled to go back, he will face the next three to four years in the Italian foster care system where he can't speak or understand the language. He will then be taken away from the only family he has ever known. Please call Governor Hochul, New York State, 518-474-8390. That's Governor Hochul, 518-474-8390 to please keep Bradley here safe in these United States with his family. Hashtag keep Bradley safe. One last announcement. Visit the site, pleasedoyourjob.com. We need 2,500 more signatures to get a case reopened. That's pleasedoyourjob.com. I'm so happy to have Brian Vukadinovich back onto my podcast. He was last on season four, episode 69, 99, and 119. He was on season five, episode 13, and 37. I have him back on. We're going to talk about what's really happening to him in federal court and why won't Mr. Posner pay up, but maybe he will once we can call him Judge Posner again. Welcome, Brian Vukadinovich. Well, hello, Marianne. Thanks for inviting me back on the show. Uh, We're going to talk about some interesting things today. And if I might, before we get started, uh, I would like to say to the people here today, Christmas is coming here just a few days away. You have a great book out. Here it is right here. My copy right here, Raised by These Wolves. Uh, I've read it from cover to cover. And uh, it's, it's, it, it's very enlightening as to what's going on in the family court system in the United States. I wasn't aware of how uh, serious of a problem we have in the uh, family courts until I met met you and learned a whole lot about it. I mean, I, you know, I talk a lot about unfairness and corruption issues in the courts in general. I had no idea before I met you on how uh, corrupt the family courts are. And you would think that family courts would probably be the cleanest courts of all because it involves dealing with children's rights and so forth, parental's rights. And it's hardly uh, just, it's just mind boggling. And then you have two of my favorite people in here, Lee Grenade and Adrian Miranda, both who are really involved with with uh, situations with corruption, uh, with Lee and and uh, with, with an abusive husband and and a situation where she was trying to sell her house and so forth, things that were going on. And Adrian Miranda with her son Joseph, mm-hmm. who was murdered, and uh, we have a corrupt uh, prosecutor in that case who refused to investigate the murder of her son Joseph so she's working on getting justice for him after all these years and you point all that out in this great book here and it's very very affordable 
I believe it's, I think, $12.95 out there on, on Amazon and so forth. So people need to look at this book. It's very important. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I, I also mentioned federal court in that book, too, and what happened to me, a little piece of what happened to me and Mark Andrews and, and other people, especially Heidi Weber as well. And now you've got some crazy stuff happening because Mr. Posner won't pay you. Yes, it's very uh, sad on how this all went down. Uh, uh, Richard A. Posner was a uh, federal court of appeals judge for almost 36 years. He was on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit in Chicago. And um, he he heard about uh, how I represented myself in, uh, in 2016. We had a, a federal civil rights jury trial in federal court. I was a school teacher in Indiana, and I represented myself uh, after eight years of, you know, a great job. Uh, my evaluations were all great. Everything was perfect. And then politics came into play. A new guy came in uh, as a principal at the school. And then all of a sudden, I lost my job. Uh, and people that know the history with me, uh, I was involved with a lot of litigations involving mm -hmm. uh, police brutalities and so forth. And then a lot of politics came into play with lawyers and so forth. And then I was I started losing teaching jobs overall, a bunch of false arrests that were taking place and so forth. I prevailed uh, on, on all of those and I was retaliated against because when you stand up for yourself in this country, uh, you're, you're supposed to actually have certain fundamental rights. But uh, believe me, unless you've really been involved in this type of situation where you've stood up and said, no, uh, my rights are being violated. I'm not going to have it. And I fought back and I won and I won and I won. And the more I won, the worse things got with retaliations. Mm -hmm. So then uh, to make a long story short, then lawyers came into play uh, and uh, it just gets really dirty when you get a bunch of lawyers involved in a case or even one lawyer. But, you know, with my situation, it's always a bunch of lawyers on the other side and including here right now. Uh, uh, Mr. Posner has lawyers fighting me right now for from uh, New York, Chicago and Indiana. And I'm representing myself. And uh, we actually just had a hearing uh, in federal court last week on, on the 14th. And we're going to talk about that and, and the judge and, and the lawyer in that case. Uh, it was a very uh, heated hearing, so to speak, we might say. And uh, now Judge Pose, Mr. Posner owes me $170,000. We, we reached an agreement. He made me an offer in uh, February of 2018 after he heard about how I won my case uh, in federal court representing myself, he got disenchanted uh, with the judges that were on the Seventh Circuit because close to 36 years in, he finally realized, he publicly stated that he was he was in a slumber for, all, for over 35 years. He said that word. He said he was in a slumber and he finally woke up and he realized how the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals in Chicago was uh, mistreating the, the pro se's. And he wanted to put some policies in, in place to uh, so the, so it'd be more fair for pro se's. And he, he was met with a lot of resistance from the other judges, the chief judge, Diane Wood at the time. And he said, enough, I'm out of here. 
So then he took his retirement and then he started a company, a new company called the Posner Center of Justice for Pro Saints. He just got it up off the ground, contacted me and, and said, hey, I heard about how you won your case, representing yourself. Uh, I've, I left the uh, federal judiciary because I got disenchanted with what was going on, how the pro se's were being treated. Uh, I would like for you to get on board with me and my company. And so he offered me initially uh, $80,000. He said he could pay me at least $80,000 and hopefully more. So we were we renegotiated the $80,000. I, I accepted his job offer in February 2018. He made the offer. I accepted it. And then shortly thereafter, we had another meeting, face-to-face -face meeting, and we adjusted the, the salary. We agreed on, on a figure of $120,000 a year. And then I would serve as, as the executive director of the Posner Center, and I would also provide advisory ser advisory services to Mr. Posner in his personal capacity because he was doing a lot of things personally with interviews and and so forth and he said you know you you're somebody that you know you know how to speak you know how things work you know how the court system works and so forth so I want you to, to advise me be my advisor in, in things that I'm doing personally so then so we agreed I would fill both roles he would pay me $120,000 a year and then it was great. Mm -hmm. And then um, then all then I worked. Now a lot of people might think, well, that's a whole lot of money, $120,000. Yeah, you know, it's a whole lot of money, but it was a whole lot of work too. And then when you're in the legal field, employment in the legal field, everything costs a lot. Lawyers charge three, two, three, four, five, six hundred dollars an hour and even more. Court reporters charge, you know, you get a copy from a court reporter on a deposition. Sometimes they charge $7 a copy. Mm -hmm. So the legal profession is very expensive. And then when you break it down uh, and all the hours I was putting in, if you really broke it down into the hours that I put in, uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't seem like it's that much money. It was a whole lot of work. And uh, there's no dispute in the case that I did the work and I did a quality job. Mm -hmm. with it. There's no dispute about that. So what happened was um, when he, you know, after a year went by, our agreement was that I would have to wait at least a year. It was going to be a deferred payment for, for my pay. And I was fine with that. I'm retired and most of the work was from home. Mm -hmm. I did have to go to Chicago on occasions. So I was fine with it. Uh, a lot of jobs are, you know, you wait, you have to wait. Even lawyers, they take jobs. Okay, I'll do it. You have to pay me later and so forth. So so then uh, at, I finally, after the year went by, I I sent a an email to him. It was in November of 2020. And I told him, I said, hey, uh, time's up. You have to pay what you owe me here. And he didn't respond back. So then... Uh, more time went by, more time went by. So then in February of 22, I sent him a letter and and uh, told him, listen, you have to take care of this. You know, it's time's up. It's time to pay. So again, I didn't hear back from him, but I received a letter 
from a lawyer in Chicago in uh, February of 22. And he said to me that, that uh, he, he called it, uh, he said basically that the contract that we entered into was not a, a legal contract because he said that uh, Mr. Posner, the medical records are going to show that, that he, he had a, he was legally, he was incapacitated. He did not have the capacity, the legal capacity to enter into a contract with me because of a, of a, an illness that he said he had. Him. And uh, so, you know, I was like, whoa, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean he, the contract was not, was not uh, a legally binding contract? At the time, Mr. Posner was running the, the center. We were both running it together. He was running the center. He was doing interviews. He was a professor at the University of Chicago Law School mm -hmm. doing all these things. And actually, a year later, in 2019, he took a job as, a, as an advisor to a legal company in California. He's doing all these things. And then when it was time to pay up, his lawyer says, oh, no, he, uh, he doesn't have to pay because he didn't have the legal capacity to enter into a contract with you. So, well, OK, that's what, you know, that's what lawyers do. You know, they try to get creative with things. Was that so, legal or mental? He said legal, legal oh, capacity. Oh, OK. Yeah, legal capacity. Or uh, now I haven't seen any records at all, even though he said in the letter that the medical records will show that. And we're going to talk about that in a, in a minute here as far as the evidence in the case and so forth. So initially, I'm told the medical records will show that, that he didn't have the legal capacity. And then and then I, I had no choice but to file the lawsuit. I didn't want to. But I had to. So then I filed a lawsuit. And then uh, all of a sudden now, they, hi they hire all these lawyers from New York, Chicago, Hammond. And now all of a sudden, oh, well, uh, the statute of limitations was up, they said. Uh, you, you didn't have the right to file the lawsuit because it was uh, out of the statute of limitations and so forth. Mm. All that nonsense stuff that they do. <laughs> instead of just paying what they owe. So we're that's what the fight is right now in court. So they've been arguing, oh, uh, Vukadinovich, uh, their legal argument has been that Vukadinovich did not uh, ask for his money. He waited until uh, February of 2020. He waited until uh, February of 2022 before he asked for his money and that was when that lawyer in chicago sent me the letter back that was that's their legal position so then so and then they said oh he waited over three years before he even asked for the money which which was a blatant lie mm -hmm. so last last week on the 14th we had a hearing in federal court with this judge uh magistrate judge joshua cola and we're going to talk about him in a minute here. So then we we go into the hearing and and this uh, judge, Kolar, uh, he didn't tell us ahead of time how long this uh, hearing was going to last. So then we get it started at nine o'clock. And then at, at about nine thirty, he says to us, he says, hey, uh, I've got a, I've got another matter I've got to take up here. 
Uh, we're already at 9.30. We're a little bit over here, so we're going to have to finish finish here. And he, we did, he didn't really give us much time to talk throughout the half hour. He did almost all of the talking, and usually the lawyers and the parties, you know, there's there's a give and take where they, you know, where they talk, you know, about issues that need to be, things that need to be discussed. And I was sitting there that entire half hour saying, you know, is he going to give us any chance to actually address the issues here? Mm -hmm. So, so what he did was when he started out the hearing, right off the bat, he said, he said, well, what, what uh, the issue today we're going to have to resolve is uh, the discovery part of the issue. There was, they filed, Posner's lawyers filed a motion to dismiss early on in the case. Mm -hmm. And generally motions to dismiss, they don't really generally take a whole lot of time to resolve. Uh, they're, they're somewhat simple. Nothing's uh, easy, but it's the simpler of, of dispositive motions in court. When you run into a motion for summary judgment, if anybody's ever dealt with one of those, those are much more complex and take a much mm -hmm. more amount of time to resolve and so forth. But this was a motion to dismiss. So they filed a motion to dismiss and, you know, months went by and months went by and, and the rule was that there could be no discovery done in the case until that motion was decided on. So we're waiting and waiting. The, uh, there's a regular judge in the case, Judge uh, uh, Teresa Springman. She's the regular judge in federal court. They allow magistrate judges to do all of the, the pre-trial things before trial. Mm -hmm. So, but the magistrates cannot issue rulings on dispositive motions. In other words, if it's a motion where the case can be dismissed, completely thrown out, the magistrate cannot do that. Only the judge can do it. And unless the parties agree to the magistrate to be able to make all decisions in the case. So that's not what we have here. Uh, neither party agreed to the magistrate. So it had to be the judge making the decision. Hmm. So after after about eight months went by with no ruling, I filed uh, uh, court papers expressing my concern about this eight-month period. Uh, why, why is this taking so long? I haven't been able to do discovery. We need a ruling here. So then probably, I think it was about two weeks later after I filed that document, that court uh, document, then the judge issues an order and I thought well as soon as I saw the envelope and opened it up here's the order on the motion wrong the judge then referred it to the magistrate after eight months she now okay we're going to ref I'm referring this to the magistrate to make a rec uh, rec recommendation here in the case so I thought to myself well she could have done that eight months ago and waited until I actually raise this concern. So then she passes it on to the magistrate. So now he's got to have time to review it. Now, he, he put the ruling out about a year and a half or a month and a half later it was. Okay. So he basically, he basically ruled in my favor on, on the main issues that were involved in the motion to dismiss. So now, okay. We're done now. The, and then the and then the, the and then there were objections filed. Their lawyers, oh, that wasn't right. Uh, this this should have been dismissed. They're putting all these nonsense arguments back in. So they wanted the judge to overrule the magistrate. And then so they filed objections, and and she did not overrule the magistrate. She adopted his uh, recommendations and ruled that 
that uh, the, the case would proceed on. So now you think you would think we can go right into discovery now. So we had to have a hearing over the discovery. We did that this last uh, Thursday. So there are lawyers now taking the position, well, now wait a minute here. Vukadinovich still shouldn't get discovery right now. Only we should. We the lawyers file papers that they they want to file another motion to have the case dismissed, and they said to the court, uh, "This this case is going to be dismissed. Uh, we shouldn't be wasting resources and so forth uh, uh, for Vukadinovich to take uh, discovery in this case. Only we should be able to do discovery on statute of limitations issue." So I came back and said, no, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute!" You've already filed a motion to dismiss. You've already lost that motion. Mm -hmm. And we did that without me having any discovery in the case. Now, when I start getting some discovery in the case, I'm going to have even more information than I had before, mm -hmm. for, you know, to strengthen my position in the case. So, so they, they said to the judge, don't let Vukadinovich uh, have discovery. Only let us have discovery. They called it, uh, it's called bifurcation of discovery in two phases. In phase one, only they would get discovery. And I would have to wait until they filed another motion to dispose of the case in like a dismissal motion or summary judgment. And then I would have to wait again for the judges, judge to make a ruling on the motion who knows how long that would be? The other one, the other one went like 13 months, and then I have to sit back and wait all this time again. So I argued that's not fair, that's not right. We actually had an agreement, a joint agreement, that we would wait until the uh, ruling came, and then once that came, then we would we would go through a discovery. So of course that meant nothing after they lost the ruling. That meant nothing. So then we go to court and this judge, magistrate judge Kolar, he right off the bat, he comes out and he says, well, you know, I don't see where there would be any prejudice to the plaintiff if we go ahead and do the uh, phase discovery. And and he kept talking and talking. And he didn't say to me, uh, Mr. You're the plaintiff here. State your case. Why? Why you would be prejudiced with this arrangement. He just kept talking and talking. And the time is going by and I'm not given any opportunity to speak up here. And I had plenty to say about that, mm -hmm. such as I've, I've already waited all this time. And here we are today. And, uh, you know, the obligations on me to prove the case as a plaintiff, that's your obligation to do under the law. And yet they're saying that the medical records are going to show legal inca incapacity. Well, then let's see the medical records mm -hmm. if that's what their legal position is here then let's see the medical records. And they're arguing in the case, oh, Vukadinovich, when he conducts discovery, he's going he's gonna to try to get uh, the judge's medical records. Well, of course I am. Uh -huh. they, they told me that that was the reason that uh, they said that the contract was uh, not a, a legally binding contract because he had a legal incapacity for the contract. Of course I'm entitled to those records. And I could not believe these arguments are coming out like that. And the judge... Uh, went with them 100%. Well, okay, you can go ahead and uh, do discovery against Vukadinovich, and Vukadinovich will have to wait. So when, then at 9.30, when he said that we were going to be done with the hearing, 
I'm, I'm sitting there like, well, wait a minute here now. I, I, I said to him, I said, Your Honor, uh, you didn't tell us ahead of time this was only going to be 30 minutes here. I mean, these types of issues, you know, it takes quite a while to hash these things out. Mm -hmm. And I told him, I said, I have, I, I said to him, I said, I need two minutes. Mm -hmm. I, I said, two, I said, I need two minutes here because I had, I had an, uh, a copy of an email that shows that I sent Mr. Posner mm -hmm. an email in November of of 2020 i sent him an email and i told him that you know it's time to pay up because we had an agreement and you need to pay up here mm -hmm. and their argument all along on statute of limitations has been mm -hmm. that i waited until until 2022 to ask for the money to be paid which they was, all do was, this yeah. well the lawyer the lawyer, his name is Justin Ellis. Mm -hmm. he's, he's in New York. He filed he filed an affidavit, a declaration, he titled it. It's an affidavit. He filed it on November 16 of 23. Not just very recently, actually. And I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read to you exactly what his affidavit stated. And it was stated under the penalty of perjury. Mm -hmm. Justin Ellis, the attorney, states in the affidavit, quote, a search of the Gmail account shows that plaintiff last sent an email to defendant on May 1, 2019. And he also stated, quote, we searched the Gmail account for any emails from plaintiff in which plaintiff raised his alleged agreement with defendant, we found no such messages. And it was done, it was done under the penalty of perjury. It says states it right on the on the affidavit. So because of, of the lies that came in with the legal arguments that I waited until 20, 2022, which is two years later after the email, I wanted to put that email into evidence and show the judge that his lawyers, and particularly this uh, Justin Ellis, who actually submitted that affidavit with those lies in the affidavit, I asked the judge, I told him I have the email here, where in fact I actually sent an email to uh, Mr. Posner on November 11, 2020, and I would like for the court to take judicial notice mm -hmm. of that email, of the date on the email, and the contents of the email there's a there's a thing called judicial notice that people that are in court if there is a certain fact that you want the court to take judicial notice of they can do that and then moving forward in a case you have a judicial notice the, the court has noticed the fact of that of that matter so he said to me this uh, magistrate judge kolar he said to me well, did you did you provide a copy of that of that email to to the defendant's lawyers? And I said, no. I said uh, we're not in discovery. You know, discovery's been held off here, so I don't have to provide any information to them. They have not provided any information to me. We're we, we're not in discovery. Let's get into discovery, and then all of the information will be provided. And then he got he got real uh, harsh about it. 
And and uh, so I said, I asked him, are you refusing my oral motion here to take judicial notice of this email? This email states the date of the email, which contradicts their arguments in this case. And, and it needs to be put into the record here. And he wouldn't do it. So then he adjourned the hearing. He allowed their lies for that time being to stand. No, I am not going to put this email into the record here. And we're done. So something happened right then that I have never seen before. Mm -hmm. So he said, we're done now with the hearing. We all leave. Their lawyers get up. Posner's lawyers get up. They leave. I get up. There were some other people watching the proceeding. They get up. The judge gets up. He leaves. So we're done. So I'm downstairs. We were up on the third floor, got on the elevator, went downstairs. I was on my way out the door. I was close to the door, actually. And then one of the U.S. Marshals approached me. And he said uh, that the magistrate judge wants everybody back in the courtroom. I've never heard of that happening before. Mm -hmm. I was literally five more seconds and I would have been uh, out of the building, actually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we go back up into the courtroom and the magistrate judge, Kolar, he says, well, I, I had, a, had an opportunity to read the email in chambers and it appears from the email that the plaintiff's position uh, is substantiated. He's, this, this shows uh, that he has a, a strong position on the statute of limitations. I'm paraphrasing him here. Mm -hmm. And so he said, well, I'm gonna go ahead and admit the email, emails in, okay? And then the lawyers then, right away, right away, the lawyer says, this Ellis says, Oh well, uh, I we we uh, just recently noticed that there was a problem with our with our with uh, Mr. Posner's with his computer system with our uh, in investigation of the emails that came in. All of a sudden, now after I brought the email into court, put it into the record. Now, all of a sudden now, oh, well, we don't, you know, and this email is in their system. They have the mm -hmm. email in, in Posner's system. And they'd been lying all along that, oh, uh, and he's put on the affidavit. They searched his email account. And the last email that I sent was on May 21, 2019, which was very untrue, totally untrue. And the email shows that, that I'm within the statute of limitations, which blows their argument out of the water. And then, so then when he said that, I said to the judge, I said, well, isn't this interesting? Uh, all along, they, they, their position has been that I did, that I waited until, you know, 2022 before I asked for the money. Now, when I bring this email here as evidence that, that I actually requested the money in, in uh, November of 2020, and then all of a sudden now, when they when in court here, they say, well, we that email, we can't find anything. Uh, something's wrong here with the system all of a sudden. Okay. So I said, well, uh, kind of like too bad for you here now. You've been exposed. Mm -hmm. You lied. You've now been exposed. And uh, now I should get discovery here now. Okay. You have no chance to, you know, to get in this case dismissed. So, so... Uh, so 
he says to me, the lawyer says to me, well, uh, he started, he was questioning the authenticity of the email, all the lawyer nonsense. Soon as he's got yeah. it in his hand, all of a sudden he's questioning. I said, hey, listen, this is a copy of the email. This is a paper copy of it. Okay. You have a copy of it. And then, well, uh, I want you to forward, you know, the electronic version. Oh, we're, not in we're not in discovery and all of that. So, uh, so that's where we're at. And then the judge, even after seeing the email and he sees clearly that they lied on their, on their uh, affidavit and they've been lying uh, in their legal arguments in the case, he, he then still would not reverse himself and say, okay, under the, under the circumstances of this email, now I can see that what they've been uh, arguing here has, has been uh, false, fraudulent. Lukadenovich gets discovery now. No, no, he, he keeps that the same. Now there's a decision. Now he's been he's been um, he's been nominated by President Biden mm -hmm. Biden to be on the to to go on the Seventh Circuit and the U.S. Court of Appeals, and he's probably going to get get on there. He just had a Senate confirmation hearing. Uh, with the senators, and then he got the vote was uh, sixteen to five, so he passed out of that committee. Now it's going to go to the full Senate. So I've been watching that that nomination very carefully, mm -hmm. and and uh, and and then uh, there's a case, there's a case that the chief judge of the Northern District of Indiana uh, ruled that bifurcated discovery. It, the case is uh, it's uh, Alberts Diamond Jewelers Incorporated versus Island Diamond Jewelers LLC. The chief judge uh, John DeGilio ruled in that case. Now that's in our district here, okay? And he ruled that he had a similar argument about bifurcated discovery, such as what we have here, and he ruled that that should not happen. That uh, it, he 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 outlined his reasons that bifurcating discovery should not happen, that the discovery should be a two-way street. Mm -hmm. So I cited his case to to uh, Magistrate Polar, and I said, "Here's what the chief judge of this district, and that is supposed to be followed. the 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 precedents are supposed to be followed, and this was right in our own district here, and." Uh, Judge Kohar refuses to follow that precedent because if he followed that precedent, I'm getting discovery now. So right. he chose not to follow it. But then, so then I'm watching his, I'm watching his uh, uh, testimony in the, in the, uh, before the Senate Judiciary Committee, it was not, not very long ago. It was on September 6th. And Here's what his here's what he testified to to the U.S. senators on the Senate committee. Quote, my job is to follow binding precedent. <laughs> so I'm watching this. I'm like, oh, really? And yet you refuse to follow the precedent in my case just a few days ago. And then he went on to say, I try to make sure I am rigorously analyzing anything that comes before me and taking into account all relevant 
fox. Baloney. Uh huh. This is what happens with uh, you know, we've talked about this before with how the uh, Senate committee and the U.S. senators, when they vote, they they put these judges on. They say one thing when they're testifying that sounds good, and then when they get on there, they do quite the opposite. That's exactly what happened here. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and on his, and interestingly, he had a questionnaire he had to fill out. He said, we have an adversarial system, and I am bound to consider the arguments of counsel and those who appear pro se, fairly and impartially. So, again, nothing but hogwash. Mm-hmm. Okay? And and uh, so I saw that. And, you know, going in, I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. Going in, I treated him with respect and so forth. And then and then I saw right at the here when it started well, I'm going to, uh, I don't see any prejudice here to you as, as the plaintiff. We're going to go ahead and do the bifurcated discovery that that, uh, that the defendant's lawyers want to do and so forth. And then I watch him in front of the United States Senate Judiciary Committee say how, oh, he his job is to follow precedent and he analyzes all the facts. Well, that clearly did not happen Mm-mm. here in this case just last week. So I am going to I am going to uh, contact every member of the United States Senate because they're going to have they're going to be taking a vote on the nomination. First, it goes through a committee, the Senate Judiciary Committee. Mm-hmm. He, he got out of there by a sixteen to five vote. He had five votes against him. So there's vote there's uh, anti votes out there against him for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very important that every senator understands that what he testified to is not is not what he's doing in this case here so actually i mean i think it's fair to say it was false testimony mm-hmm. actually and when a when a ju- judicial candidate appears in front of a committee and testifies and is not being forthright and says the things that sound good but not really how he operates or she operates then that person should not be a, nominated to a, to a higher judicial office. I'm sorry. And uh, so I am going to let the U.S., uh, every senator in this country, there's a hundred of them, I'm going to go on, I'm going to uh, let them know on what's happening here. And this is what people need to realize. There's, you know, you need to keep track of what's going on with the judges that are being put in place. And the people have to speak up uh, about these types of things. And they're afraid to do it, or, or you know, and, and or don't know how to do it. I, I don't know what the situation is, but people need to speak up. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, I'm going to. And uh, this judge, this uh, lawyer, this Justin Ellis, uh, when you when you commit perjury in a court proceeding under oath, mm-hmm. that is a that is a felony, that is a crime. So I'm I'm. Uh, going to be filing court papers to have the law followed. I'm going to ask the judges to follow the law uh, because this is clear. It's in black and white and it's under penalty of perjury. What he said was not true. Mm-hmm. It was perjury and there should be consequences for it. So this is going to now go back to the judges there with Judge Kolar and, and Judge Springman. So we'll see if they're going to actually follow what the what the law says or not. So we'll have to just stay tuned and see what happens there. So uh, 
you know, uh, you know, it's just, it's just nonsense what people have, you know, have to put up with mm-hmm. and, you know, spend a lot of money with lawyers and we all know how that works. Oh, how that yeah. Works. So um, we'll see what happens here. Well, uh, yeah, because I'd like to have you back on my podcast so we can find out what really happens next, <laughs> because uh, they're all doing this. Um, even in my federal court case, the judge admitted to not looking at the exhibits. So it's just it's rampant as far as I'm concerned. Oh, it's it's rampant all over the country, mm-hmm. all over the country. It's going on. But the problem is it's allowed to go on. Right. You know, a lot of times your own lawyers won't stand up. You know, they, they know there's things that going wrong that shouldn't be going wrong. They mm-hmm. won't stand up to the judges because they're afraid. And I give them no credit for that. When you're you're a lawyer, you're representing your client. If there's something going on, if there's something unethical going on in the case with the other lawyers or with the judge in the case, you must step up on behalf of your client and address that. And they won't do it. And they're and I'm standing up and, and they're not used to it. They really probably don't know how to handle it because they just they just don't have to. Uh, they don't they don't get the pushback. And they don't know how to handle it, but uh, but I'm pushing back on it. I'm going to call a spade a spade here. I've already I've made it very clear that judge knows it, uh, based on how that how that hearing went. He knows where I'm coming from with this thing. He absolutely knows it. Their lawyers know it. I am not going to allow lawyers to make false and fraudulent arguments in the case, and not only just false and arguments fraudulent arguments, put in information, sign their name to lies that the judge then is going to accept and then make rulings in the case based off their lies. I will not tolerate that. And I am not going to tolerate this. This lawyer committed perjury. The judge for the time being, insofar as the ruling goes on the discovery, gave a pass on it on Thursday when he could have easily right then and there said, well, you know what? Originally, when we started out here today, I said I was going to do the phase discovery where I wasn't going to let the plaintiff start discovery, only the defendant. But since I've read this email and I see in this email that you that this is perjury, you lied as, as a defendant's lawyer, you lied and submitted this in court. I am not going to allow Vukadinovich to have discovery that he's supposed to have anyway. It wasn't right. a favor that I was asking. I'm entitled to the discovery. Definitely. But he didn't do that. No. But he didn't do that. So, yeah. uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens here moving forward. So I'm I'm on it and I'm going to be filing court court papers very shortly here. And they're not going to like, they're not going to like what they're going to read. Trust Definitely. me. Definitely. And yeah. Oh, and- and by- by the way, Mary, I'm sorry. Let me just say one more thing here. Very interesting. This uh, the same lawyer and his and his uh, cohort lawyers in the case, his associates. Not long when they filed their brief for that hearing for that issue, they put in there. Vukadinovich is writing books. He's doing interviews. He's writing blogs about. He's talking about judicial corruption and so forth. And they cited the interview that you and I did. They cited that right in the brief. 
and they they cited the timeline on the link where you and I did a did a a show a while back mm-hmm. about about the case about the the Posner case, and I said at during our interview that I that at trial that the judicial judicial corruption would be exposed, so. They cited that in the brief, how I said that in our interview, and they put the link to the interview right in the right in the brief, the Slam the Gavel podcast interview. They put it right in the brief. And when Uh I saw that, it was like, well, wait a minute, what's what's your problem now in the United States of America? A person can't write books now and, and speak publicly about judicial corruption that you would put that in the brief here. So. That didn't come up at the hearing, so they stayed away from it at hearing because it was really, really a stupid thing to put in there. Oh, that was. You know, I I guess it was supposed to be, well, you know what? Uh, We're going to put this in the brief. Vukadinovich is going to see that we're we're, uh, overseeing, we're watching everything he's doing, his comments, and we're going to put it right here in the brief so the judge will also know that Vukadinovich is out there publicly exposing judicial corruption so the judge will know it as well. And then I'm thinking, they're thinking, well, once we put this in here, Vukadinovich is going to stop. He's going to get intimidated because he saw, you know, we made an issue of this in the brief. Well, guess what? Here we are. Again. Again, Mm -hmm. exposing judicial corruption. Well, I I hope they continue to listen to my podcasts and, you know, hopefully donate to buy me a coffee to keep the podcast going. I would really appreciate if they do that. Well, since those lawyers are choosing to utilize your interviews here directly into the case, they should do that. I think they should. They should do that. If they're going to just try to use your uh, interviews, you know, as a basis to bias the court against me mm-hmm. and so forth, and they feel they're getting a benefit for that, they should buy you a cup of coffee. They should. I'm doing the Lord's work. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad we got this out in the open and I can't wait to have you back on again. Um, If anyone has any questions, how can they reach you? Okay. I have a blog or I have a website and where I have, I've written blogs on there, my interviews, some of them are on there. It's hard to get everything on there. And uh, I've written a lot of public uh, uh, letters to the editor and, op-eds and so forth. And my email address is right on there on, on my website. My website is www.brianvukadinovich.com. My my email address is motion for justice. It's the word for, not the number for, motion for justice at yahoo.com. So that email address is on my website as well. So, and I get, after we do these interviews, I get a lot of people for the, who are watching the show here, email me about their oh, good. and so forth. So, uh, I'll, so I'll put it in the podcast notes too. Okay, good. good. Uh, so, you know, we're getting the information out there. Uh, oh, yes. For sure. And I think oh, we're doing and, a lot. Oh. And we should also tell them that you wrote the foreword to my book, you know, Raised by These Wolves, How Family and Federal Courts Are Failing Our Children. So you were... You wrote my foreword to the to my book, which I'm so honored. Here's your book, and I was honored to do so. I was very honored to do so. You're an important person out here in the country with what you're doing, uh, because we don't have enough journalists out there such as yourself. I talk to a lot of people in the in the uh, news 
media business and when it comes to getting down to the nitty gritty of what's going on into the courts, a lot of them are uh, not inclined to want to report on a lot of things because there's a lot of politics, mm -hmm. there's a lot of influence that goes on. And a lot of times it's, man, I wish I could, but I can't type of a thing. But you well, don't. You go ahead and you put the information out there. You don't you don't hesitate to do it. So you're a treasure, Marianne. Oh, you are thank a you. treasure in this country. Oh, thank you so much. But I'm going to have you back on. But uh, don't jump off, Brian. Slam the gavels a podcast. Help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I am your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth, and Raised by These Wolves, How Family and Federal Courts Are Failing Our Children. Uh, join me again here with Brian Vukadinovich in the future. You can find me on Spotify, YouTube, Apple iTunes, Anchor FM, iHeartRadio, and platforms I don't even know about. And I totally thank you so much, Brian. Well, you're very welcome, Marianne, and I thank you as well uh, for having me back on and us having an opportunity to get this information out there to the public. Thank you so much for your great job. Thank you, and we'll do it again. Thank you.